Hey everybody, my name is Tyler. I'm the student pastor here at FCC. Welcome to our podcast. We're glad you joined us. Let's get into the word. Well, amen. On May 19th, 2014, Admiral William McRaven of the United States Navy gave a commencement speech at the University of Texas, Austin. In that speech, as he sought to inspire this next generation of graduates as they were moving on, he did so with a simple premise. He said, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. And he continued And he said, if you made your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will have given you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you will never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have had a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that's made, that you made. A made bed gives you a sense of encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. I love that premise. I love that quote. I love the simplicity of that idea. Something so small, something so minute, something that seems so insignificant has the power to change the world. And it's a statement, and those are words that I think can be applied to the act of prayer. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been sitting in this space of what it looks like for us to pray well, specifically what it looks like for us to pray for other people as well as as attune our prayer life to the heart of the Father. And as we think about what we just read and how we apply the, the, the words of that to our lives. I want us to consider that in light of this. What would it look like for us as committed believers to make our bread with prayer? What would it look like for us as committed believers to believe in the act of prayer so much that we would do it understanding and knowing that that is the source in which we can change the world, in which Jesus changes the world through us. That is the power of prayer. We're going to talk about this specifically in light of committed believers. What does it look like for the committed believer of Jesus Christ to pray? How do we do that? And how did Jesus model this? And I want to do that by looking at our story this morning, which comes out of Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 13 through 36 this morning, a longer section of scripture. We're actually not going to read the whole section together. 
But there's a, there's, a, there's a few things specifically in these two stories that we're going to read together. Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then walking on the water that I think are so significant to what we're talking about this morning. And so before we dive into our scripture, I want to look at the context of what's happening here. So John the Baptist has, has just been beheaded. And Jesus is very close with his cousin. This is, this is something that has, hits him hard and affects him. He has just found out this news. And that's where I want to pick up here, starting in verse 13. So read along with me. It says this. When Jesus heard about what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages to buy themselves some food. So I want to pause there for a moment before we dive into both of these stories and the meat of what's happening here. And there's a couple of things that I want us to take away from this this morning. And the first one is this, that our prayers connect us to God and our humanity. Our prayers connect us to God and our humanity. So right from the start, we see several sides of Jesus as he hears this news. Jesus, he he is clearly moved emotionally by the death of John the Baptist. And in that, he removes himself from this place to go and be alone. He goes out on this boat specifically to be alone. Now, when when Jesus is alone, we can infer from what Jesus has done and what we see contextually in the scriptures that he was spending time with his father. That in this time while he was alone, he was spending time with the father And I love the picture of Jesus that we get here in just the first three verses that we read. Because we see several sides of Jesus. We we see the human side of Jesus. We see the fully man side of Jesus where he experiences these emotions. Where someone close to him has died in, in a horrific way. And he gives himself space to feel that. He allows his emotions to flow through him. And then in that, the second part of that is that Jesus runs to the Father. That we see very evidently this important and deep connection that Jesus has with God. That in this terrible moment for Jesus, he runs to the Father. He runs to the Father. Jesus is keenly aware of what he needs in this moment. He knows exactly what he needs in this moment. He is empty and he is saddened by this news and he needs to go be with the Father. Here, here's why this matters. So I've talked, about, I've talked about Hannah, my wife and I's dog, uh, in here before. His name is Denver. You can throw that picture up here of Denver. This is a picture that I've taken recently of him. There's the guy. That's Denver. Um, Denver is, he's awesome. He's a Staffordshire Terrier Bulldog mix. Um, he's got a ton of energy ton of energy. And so uh, his, his moments of like sweetness are amazing and he loves to cuddle and he loves to be with you. But he has moments where, man, he is, he's been alone all day in the house. He's got so much energy and he's just wound up and he's got all of this stuff he needs to release. And, and, and we find that there's some, there's some uh, bad behavior that comes out of that. 
So what we discovered about uh, Denver recently, especially when he's wound up, when he's been cooped up in the house all day, is that Denver, he, he gets hangry. And, and I didn't know that this was, this was something that dogs experience. If you don't know, hangry means, man, you experience anger because you haven't eaten anything. And what happens is, is, is when we're gone all day, I'll take Denver for a walk in the morning, and uh, while we're gone during the day, Denver doesn't eat. He, he's like, either he's just so anxious that we're gone or whatever it is, or he's just too busy sleeping, he doesn't eat. And when we come home, we start making dinner and we're so excited. He's so excited that we're home and then we'll take him on another walk and then we'll, we'll get home and we'll settle in. And all the while in the midst of that, Denver will forget to eat. And so he goes the entire day without eating any food. And what happens is, is Denver in his moments of hangriness, as we're like laying in bed and we're getting ready to go to sleep, he will start running around the house. He'll grab shoes. He'll bite feet. He bites pillows. He does all of this stuff. And, and it wasn't until recently that we started drawing this connection between Denver's behavior and his refusal or lack of food in his stomach. The other night this happened and, and Hannah was running around the house chasing him with this, with this shoe. She got it away from him and, and it wasn't like, it wasn't an actual instruction. I think it was just out of a moment of frustration. She takes the shoe from him and she says, go eat. And he looks at her and he turned and he went to his bowl. And he just pounds this entire bowl of food. And he comes back five minutes later, hops up on the bed, curls up as if nothing had happened. It was perfect. We're like, ah, we found it. We did it. That's it. <laughs> when Denver is behaving like this, he is hangry. Church, prayer and time with the Father is something that is so vitally important to our souls. It is so vitally important to our spiritual lives. But so often, and I've been here too, I've, I've been here this week, we neglect it. I get in on Monday and I started seminary this week and I said, I have too much to do. And I neglected to pray. We've all been there. But when we neglect to pray, we become spiritually dry. Like, like Denver or like those, those Snickers commercials, right? We're not us when we're hungry. We are not us when we don't pray. Our spiritual lives are not us when we don't pray. And what I mean by that is, is that, that we cannot effectively serve and love others when we are not connected, when we are not actively moving towards the Father or being with the Father in prayer. We cannot effectively love and serve other people. And I love Jesus' response to the crowd who come and meet him at the shore. Verse, verse 14 says that Jesus saw them and he took compassion on them and he healed their sick. And, and I've read this story a thousand times and this is the first time that this has stuck out to me. Because if I'm Jesus, if I'm going through what he's just experienced, I know exactly what I'm doing with that crowd. Get out of here. I don't have time for you. I'm going through something. But Jesus sits and he has compassion on this, excuse me, on this crowd. And he is only able to do that because he sets this clear boundary for himself in this moment of turmoil. And in this, he, he takes time again to do two things. First of all, he takes time to feel what he is going through. He's connected to his humanity. Friends, it is okay for us to not be okay. 
It is okay for us to not be okay. It is a part of being human. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to point that out. It's okay to feel those things. It's okay to not be okay. And Jesus acknowledges how he feels. This is the first step in him taking time not only to heal, but spend time with the people who are around him. So first he takes time to feel the things he's going through, and then he takes time to be connected to the Father and be filled with the Spirit. And so when the time came to pour out again, he was able to do so, not from his own power, but from a holy place that was connected to God. This act of prayer and time alone for Jesus was so deeply significant, not only for himself, but for the people that he was serving. That is the power and importance of prayer. And if we want to change the world, we have to start by connecting ourselves to the Father and getting real about the things that we're going through and experiencing And as we read further, we find more examples of this from Jesus. So after Jesus heals the sick, evening begins to fall. And the the disciples come to Jesus and they said, man, Jesus, let these people go home. It's getting late. They need to go to the villages. They need to get food and they need to go home. And many of us are familiar with this story that Jesus then looks at them and he sees their problem and he says, man, you do it. And he says, how much food do you have? And he multiplies this food and then he gives it to the the disciples and empowers them to go out and serve this crowd. This intense, once again, ministry moment for Jesus. And then after the people are fed, we skip ahead here into this next section in verse 22, which says this. So picking up once again in verse 22. After Jesus has fed these people, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Once again, I want to pause there. We'll get into this story here in a moment. But here's, here's what I want us to do for these two stories. I, I want us to notice not only the stories themselves, but also the, the context of what's happening around these stories. And this lends to our second point this morning, which is this, that a healthy prayer life is a consistent one. A healthy prayer life is a consistent one. So again, I wanted to look at both of these stories because I love the rhythm of prayer and solitude that Jesus shows in these stories. We see this great example, once again, of great care for the people. That Jesus multiplies this food, he performs this miracle, he feeds the people, and then he sends them away. And what's the first thing that he does? He goes to be alone. And he goes to pray with the Father. This rhythm that we get and that we see with Jesus of what Jesus is trying to communicate. Again, it's almost the story within the story. This pattern of pouring out and filling again. Pouring out and filling again. Jesus is consistent about what he needs. A few months ago, my mom asked me if I wanted to do a half marathon with her. 
And my mom uh, has done many half marathons in her life. The running has been a large part of, of her life uh, for a long time, and it has not been for me. Um, but I was like, you know, like, yeah, I don't, I don't live around my mom anymore. This could be a good opportunity for us uh, to be able to spend some time together, something that we can do together. So I was like, yes, let's, let's do a half marathon. I think, that, I think that I can do that. And at first, I'm going to tell you, I was very excited about this idea. And I was very excited about this idea. I don't think because I actually wanted to run the half marathon, but because I was like, how cool would it be for me to be able to get one of those 13.1 stickers and put it on the back of my car, right? Be like one of those people and have that right there, right? I was so excited about getting this sticker. Friends, do you know how many miles I have logged in my training for this half marathon? 0.0. (laughs) Crushing it. Doing well. Here's the problem. I'm more excited about the rewards of this half marathon than actually doing the work to get there, right? I want the sticker. I don't want to run. Maybe I'll just get the sticker. I don't know. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I won't be one of those people. I love the idea of myself accomplishing something more than actually putting in the time to do it. Friends, I think that we like the idea of making a difference in the world, which is great, don't get me wrong. But I think that we like the idea of making a difference in the world. I think that we like the idea of coming alongside the Lord and serving faithfully with him. I I think we like the idea of making impacts and drawing people to Jesus. But I don't think that we're always willing to put in the time that needs to happen to make that happen. It's not going to happen if we are not willing to put in the time to pray and spend time with the Father. Now, that's not to say that Jesus can't and won't work through us. He is not limited by us, but we limit ourselves, we limit our own hearts when we are not willing to do the seemingly simple and small thing of prayer and time with the Father in order to make a difference in the world and in order to make a difference in our own heart. If we are not close to the Father, then we cannot effectively serve the world. We cannot pour from what is empty. We can't pour from an empty spiritual life, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we serve, no matter how many good deeds that we do. If we are not drawing from the source of life in prayer and in God, then we are dry. Prayer must be an active and regular part of our lives a regular part of our lives. Jesus over and over fills himself with intentional time with the Lord. Following these intense times of ministry, taking time to once again center himself with God. It is this intentional rhythm of what Jesus is trying to communicate of what this looks like. We must step into the presence of God and sit with him. Excuse me, with him. And Jesus models why this is important at the end of our scripture this morning. So we're going to read through the rest of this scripture together this morning. Jesus has just spent time uh, praying with the Father and has sent his disciples out on the boat. And while the disciples are out there, a giant wind kicks up and the disciples are being tossed around. And then this happens once again, starting in verse 24. 
And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves and the wind, and the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached down his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. And when they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to the surrounding country. People brought their sick to him and begging him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. So let's talk about this in the lens of our final point this morning, which is this. That prayer connects us to the non-anxious presence of God. Prayer connects us to the non-anxious presence of God. The more I read scripture, the more appreciation I begin to have for how strategic Jesus is in his ministry. He has this time alone once again with the Father, and as his disciples are out on the water, this massive wind kicks up. And his disciples are being tossed around on the boat. And in their moment of highest terror, in their moment of highest stress, that's when Jesus picks to come out towards them. And Peter, brave Peter, always brave Peter, says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come out of the boat. Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking towards Jesus. And as he's walking towards Jesus, and Peter is locked in on him. It is in that moment, it is just Jesus and Peter that are there. He walks towards him and he's not blind. Let's keep in mind, he's not blind to what's going on. He's not ignorant to to what's happening around him. He's he's not blind to the waves and the wind that are around him. He feels those things. He sees those things. But in this moment, the thing that is most important to him is him and Jesus. He is simply locked in right here, walking towards the Father. But this changes the the instant that that Peter becomes more aware of of the waves and the wind that are around him. Those things become more important to, to Peter than his moment sitting here with Jesus. And he begins to sink. And when he begins to sink, he cries out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. And Jesus is faithful to pull him up out of the water. And he says, you of little faith. And what Jesus is really saying when he says this is that, man, Peter, things were going so well. 
I had you. I had you. But then you looked away. So what does this have to do with prayer? What does this have to do with, man, what we are talking about and addressing this morning? I'm going to let you in on a not-so-secret secret about our world. We live in a deeply anxious world. A deeply anxious world. Everything in our world is pulling for our focus, is pulling for our attention. Everything is a threat. We can't trust anyone or anything. We work ourselves to no end, and then we wear our burnout like a badge of honor when it's actually killing us. We're privy to parts of people's lives that we were never meant to be. We were never meant to be. Now, listen, listen to me when I say I am, I am a huge proponent of social media. Working with students, I actually see a lot of the great advantages that social media brings to our world. I think when it is used effectively and when it is used responsibly, it can, it can have the power to, and, and a great tool for us to help change the world in the name of Jesus. But the problem is, is that I think too often we live here more than we live here. And that makes, makes us so anxious because everything that we see is telling us that we need to be scared, that we need to be worried, that we need to be concerned. All of these things are pulling and begging for our attention and asking for us to worry. The waves and the winds are higher than we can ever imagine and things are exhausting. And in the midst of that, we have Jesus, who calmly looks out to us and extends his hand. He says, come to me. Just come to me. Friends, when we are connected to God in prayer, when we are taking time to pray to the Father and do so on a consistent basis, we are connected to the non-anxious presence of God. When I look back at the scripture, specifically when I look back at the life of Jesus, I'm struck by Jesus and that he is never in a hurry. Jesus is never in a hurry. The most important thing to Jesus is what's happening right in front of him. I think of the story in John 11 where Jesus goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus doesn't immediately just scamper over and roll in like a wrecking ball and say, hey, look, everybody, it's okay, I'm here, and then raises Lazarus. No, he waits. He sits and waits, and then he goes to Lazarus and to this family, and then, not only then does he, does he go and just start healing, but he takes time to sit with the people. Maybe for several hours. We don't know how long this period of time was, but Jesus takes time to sit with the people and mourn and grieve with them. In John chapter 4, Jesus sits at Jacob's well, tired from his journey through Samaria, and he just sits with the Samaritan woman, and he talks with her, and he shares a story with her. 
In Luke 19, instead of immediately rebuking Zacchaeus, who's up in the tree, Jesus sees Zacchaeus and then he says to him, Zacchaeus, come down here. I need to spend the day with you. Jesus is never in a hurry. The thing that mattered most to him was right in front of him. And Peter, in our story this morning, he was there. For a split second, Peter was there. The most important thing to him was what was right in front of him, and that was Jesus. Church, I am convinced that one of the greatest witnesses that the church has to our world today is our ability to be non-anxious. In a world that is deeply anxious, our ability to slow down, to focus on what's in front of us, and not be pulled away by the waves and the wind that are around us, that is one of the greatest witnesses that we can give to the world. What does this look like practically? What does it look like for us to be non-anxious? I'm going to tell you for first what it doesn't look like. Non, being a non-anxious presence doesn't mean that we can never be anxious. It doesn't mean that, that, that we can't experience uh, anxiety or we can't, can't be worried about the things we are, uh, that are going on around us. We are not sinning. We are not, not trusting God enough if we feel the pangs of anxiety and worry. Jesus himself, as we read this morning, feels those things. As he sits in Gethsemane with his father, he is overwhelmed by the things that he has to do. So being a non-anxious presence doesn't mean that we just need to turn that part of our brain off. That's not what that means. But what being a non-anxious presence does look like is understanding and trusting that we are more than the sum of our work. That's a big one for me. We are more than the sum of our work. Jesus has created us for more than work. That's the whole point of the Sabbath, is to get away from the idol of work, spending intentional time with the people who we love, our spouses, our children, our friends, taking time for those people, putting aside other things and spending time with the people who are most important to us in our lives. We've talked about this before, but being okay with not being okay. It's okay to struggle. Reach out, seek help, support, and counseling okay to not be okay. Avoiding social media arguments and conspiracy theories. Taking time away from those things and focusing on, man, what does Jesus say about these things? And refusing the temptation to react quickly. I think that we, one thing about our world, man, we are, we are in this space where the world asks us to, to react quickly. Anything that happens, we need to have an opinion on it immediately, and we need to share that opinion broadly. Resist the temptation to immediately have a thought. Just sit in this moment and spend time with the Father and think critically about the things that are happening in our world. When Paul calls us in Philippians 6, 6 through 7, to not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. 
He's not saying never be worried. But he's saying when those things happen, think critically about those things and resist the temptation to respond irrationally. Our non-anxious witness and our presence in the world begins with prayer and the presence with the one who modeled it. As we pour out what we receive, plain and simple, we pour out what we receive. So what are we receiving today? For the next couple minutes, we're going to, to spend some time in small groups. Thanks everybody for tuning in with us today. Stay tuned for more content coming soon. Have a blessed day.